Welcome back to hour number two of Sports Talk. I'm Jimmy Himes along with Vince Farrar. Uh, and Vince, uh, I know that you're very fond of a sponsor of your hour, and that's Waters Equipment Rental. Yeah, Waters Equipment's been in business for 48 years, and you can purchase, rent, and they service heavy equipment for various different uses. and uh, Just a, a tremendous program that they've got for service, for rental for everything they have come through for customers and they continue to go back to them so really proud that they're sponsoring my hour with you guys each week uh, here in the four o'clock hour on tuesdays and uh, i can help get the word out about them because their business has been successful for a reason and more people need to know about them all right let's uh to join us 656-9900-1866-656-9900 let's go to the phones where jj is our first caller. Hello, JJ. Hey, guys. I had a quick question. Uh, with all the talk about the defensive assistance that we're trying to assemble now, keep hearing Willie Martinez's name come up. I know he was here when Butch Jones was here. Was uh, was he suspended for a game when he was here? Refresh my memory. I think that he was. I'm trying to remember exactly the situation around that. But I think that he was. I'm giving you a homework assignment, Jimmy. Yeah, I, I got that. And I'm, I couldn't remember either. I, I just it crossed my mind, and I thought yeah. I'd call and ask. But things as touchy as they yeah. are with the NCAA and our situation now, I was just curious about that. He was suspended for one game due to an NCAA violation, impermissible contact during a spring evaluation period in 2014. Uh, Tennessee announced it an hour before the kickoff against Bowling Green, September 5th, 2015. So, Do you think that will have any bearing on him rejoining the staff now? I would think it should not. Uh, That is such a minor violation. As you probably know, J.J., there are uh, every year if you um, do a Freedom of Information Act on on NCAA secondary violations at Tennessee, you're going to get a number of them. Uh, could be 10, 12, 15, 20, and some of them are really, really minor. And this one I see is minor. I mean, one of them even came up that a coach returned a phone call thinking it was another coach, and the prospect answered the phone instead of the, uh, instead of the dad who's the coach. So that yeah, to me crazy. is very minor. What Tennessee is facing right now would be more significant than this. I do not think that would impact Tennessee hiring Willie Martinez. Vince, do you see that any differently? I don't. I see it the same way. I don't think we're talking about the level of uh, of rule-breaking. Now, also, what else is in Willie Martinez's track record? That's all we know about. Um, but that's something that if they were really going to vet, uh, that they would look into. But I, I don't recall anything else in his history. But... I don't think that's significant enough to to make it. It's not like Hugh Freeze, right, where <laughs> yeah. everybody knew about it. And you're talking, uh, uh, you know, about um, you know him being banned and and all that. So it, it's just it's on a totally different level. I don't think, but it's a it's a great point by the caller to the to sure. at least that's something for them to be aware of and and look into just to make sure. And I think Willie's a really good football coach. I do. I, I thought he was a good coach here. Thought he did a good job. Uh, I think he would be an asset to the Tennessee staff if they're able to get him to return to Knoxville. 
Well, I do too. I'd like to bring him on. I thought he did a good job, and he's got a good resume as far as places he's been. I would have kind of liked to have seen Conklin as a DC, uh, just because I just feel like he's been calling plays much more recently. But anyway, I appreciate the call, guys. Go Vols. Thank you. Yeah, Josh Conklin was on the Tennessee staff, I think, in 2012. Uh, he bounced around a little bit after that. He's been the head coach at Wofford. They have won their conference each of the last two years. And I was told he's a guy that would have uh, taken the job, but I don't think Tennessee ever offered it to him. So, uh, and Conklin does have a really good resume. So we'll see. Um, Vince, how important do you think it is for Tennessee to put together a really good staff around Tim Banks, uh, who is um, – uh, not been a defensive signal caller very often. He's been a co-coordinator a number of years. How, how important is it for you, to, do you think it is for Tennessee to hire really good staff members around him? Well, I think it's very important because Tennessee doesn't have a great margin of error, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're all already talking about having to be uphill. So I think you have to have a lot of things fall into place to try to make sure you get the best results possible. And if they don't have great staff chemistry and if they're not on the same page or if they're too inexperienced in some other areas, then I think it has the potential to hold this team out, hold this team back when they're already going to have a whole lot of other adversity. You know, the roster I think is something that we need to look into and that that will obviously still be fluid and play out and who stays who goes and who comes in. So there's challenges there. We don't know what the the NCAA stuff is going to be and what's hanging over them. Remember, you know, I guess it was with Missouri, was it last year, Jimmy, where, or the year before, might have been last year, where they still hadn't heard back from the NCAA. So they didn't know whether they were going to be able to participate or do anything. That was just kind of something that was dangling for them during the season. So this team has such a, a, a has such a an uphill run as it is to not have staff chemistry. I don't I, I don't think they can afford it. I think they need so many things to come into place just to try to get uh, into a decent season that can show that this team is going in the right direction and there's that progress. You can't make a final declaration off of year one. That's unfair with all of the transition and everything that Hypel will have to go through. Normally in year two is when you got to show some sort of forward progression. But if you can do it in year one, look at how it can change the excitement level of what the expectations are for that football program, Arkansas, Missouri for last from last year with first year head coaches, it changes a narrative, and I think that can only be a positive for Tennessee is if they can change the narrative with some decent results and have people talking a little bit more positively about Tennessee, and then that can have a residual effect in recruiting and everything else. So, yes, I think that chemistry has to, to be there uh, on that defensive staff with Banks. Wouldn't you take what Ole Miss did last year? Where they, oh, yeah. Where they scored a ton of points, gave up a lot of points, but scored a whole bunch of points. They got 35 against Florida, 48 against Alabama, uh, uh, 42 against Kentucky, uh, 54 against Vanderbilt. I, I think you'd take that even if your record may not be great. Absolutely. The morning show, the starting lineup, they have a segment called To the Window. 
and you take that ticket to the window if you can get a season <laughs> like Ole Miss. I mean, Lane Kiffin delivered the excitement. So if you can do something like that and people start talking about you, and then you have a, a, a clear vision, one, on him living up to Hypel, living up to the things that he came in with a track record of being able to do, right? So you feel like, okay, those things can translate now onto the group of five, onto the power five level from the group of five. So those, those boxes are checked. We're, we're, Tennessee, you feel good as a fan if you have that kind of season that those things are legit. Now you have more of a clear vision that got to fix the defense. What do we need to do? So now you 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 see the steps and the progress, and and there's – renewed hope if this team averages 19 points a game and they're not doing anything offensively or defensively next year then i think that's when it, it can really get sour doesn't mean that hypo won't be able to to turn it into a prolific offense but especially with recent results jimmy fans are going to want to see recent and, and immediate results in some form or fashion even if it's not east titles if you can show you can put some life into this program, especially offensively, I think then that that would be huge in giving fans some hope and encouragement that they're at least getting there. And his background does carry over and is legit in this conference. Just got to fix some of the other things. And then obviously, you know, deal with whatever the NCAA uh, issues are that will be hanging over him also. Yeah, I left out a couple of big games for Ole Miss, 59-42 to 42 over South Carolina, and they lost to LSU 53-48. to 48. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess defense was uh, was optional. And, and, and Jimmy, what put what almost put Lane Kiffin on the map more than anything was, was that shootout with Alabama. Yeah. And that wasn't a win, but, man, you do that against Alabama when really I don't know that anybody else did. That's, I think, what really opened people's eyes to Lane Kiffin's offense being legit. And, look, that didn't didn't last for Mike Leach at Mississippi State. He had that LSU game, and then LSU went in the tank uh, until the end of the year where they improved some. But they weren't scoring at a high clip anymore, but Lane Kiffin's team – did on a regular basis so it, it it validated them and i think that's at the very least what tennessee fans are going to want to see from from josh heupel and this team next year is that the offense is it's it's valid what he's done at ucf that it carries over onto this level you know you've done a good job against alabama when nick saban accuses you of stealing signals <laughs> that's that's the goal for josh heupel you want Saban after the game to say, I think they were stealing our signals. Yeah, I mean, it show, it'll show how well coached they are or, <laughs> you know, you don't want to you don't want to have too many accusations of cheating when <laughs> when there's already been some of that going on. Unsuccessfully, well, that's a different kind of cheating. That's yeah, acceptable. that's true. <laughs> the NCAA doesn't care about that. Yeah, we don't <laughs> want to spark any more investigations thanks to Alabama. You know all the conspiracy theorists will be out there. Oh, you're exactly right. <laughs> uh, that's Vince Farrar. Our hour with Vince today brought to you by Waters Equipment in Maryville. Uh, if you want to join us, 656-9900-1-866-656-9900. I'm Jimmy Himes. This is Sports Talk 99.1, the sports animal. From the Budweiser studios of the sports animal. 
I worry what you just heard was, give me a lot of bacon and eggs. Give me all the bacon and eggs you have. We are 99.1, the sports animal. Welcome back to Sports Talk. I'm Timmy Himes along with Vince Farrar. Vince's segment is brought to you by the uh, folks in Maryville Waters Equipment. To join us, 656-9900-1866-656-9900. Uh, Vince, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this uh, uh, because it is pretty topical. Dale Earnhardt Sr. killed at Daytona 500. It was 20 years ago this month that that occurred. And it rocked NASCAR. Uh, he was an active athlete. Uh, although 47, he was still, uh, I wouldn't say in his prime, but he was certainly good enough to win a championship at his age. He was still a really, really good NASCAR driver. And I got to thinking about some of the others. And I remember how my world was rocked a little bit because I was a big fan of a baseball player by the name of Roberto Clemente. And in December, around Christmas, 1972, he was killed in a plane crash as he was bringing goods to his home country, and um, and and by the way that and I think he was 37 when he passed away, but he hit 312 the year the year before. The guy was still a great hitter. I just remember that day and thinking how sad it was to see that Roberto Clemente, one of the uh, Hall of Fame baseball players, had lost his life. Can you think of some athletes that maybe it hit you pretty hard? When you active active athletes that hit you pretty hard uh, as being a sports fan. Well, certainly Dale Earnhardt. I, I you know that was one of those deals where you remember where you were and and what you were doing and when you know when you you get that news and it's just it's just shocking and then to see the reaction of everyone in the sport and you use the right term jimmy in, in rocked and I, I think when you have such an iconic figure that takes it on a on a, a whole new level um as far as other ones uh, Derek thomas with the uh with the kansas city chiefs i mean that was one i mean hearing about that was um was stunning um and and obviously another you know hall of fame type of player another one was sean taylor from the Washington Redskins, yes. mm-hmm. that that was another one that, that drew so much reaction from the his peers in the National Football League. He was so popular, such a great player at the University of Miami, a Pro Bowler, and he was just 24 years old. So that's another Is that thing. All? Wow. Yeah. yeah, very young hmm. in his. Uh, you know, in, in his life and early in his uh, NFL career, just so tragic. I mean, all, all of them are tragic. But when, when you when you add a younger athlete, Jimmy, I think it 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 hits you even harder. And especially when you are also a young athlete. And, you know, for some of these for, for athletes, especially that we're talking about specifically, they have a feeling of invincibility sort of built into their DNA, right? A, a lot of them, I think it, and, and maybe some of them are, are more humble in, in the way they carry themselves. But I think the confidence level that being an athlete oftentimes gives you and 
the way athletes can feel invincible at times. I think that's why when we see athletes in their careers gone far too soon, I think it it really shakes to the core that feeling of invincibility that maybe we aren't invincible like we think we do. We may carry ourselves and and it should give everyone a different perspective on how you carry yourself moving forward. Everybody handles things differently. I'm not just saying everybody's exactly the same. Another one I remember is Len Bias, Jimmy. Yes. And, um, you know, that really had drew so much reaction in the basketball world. So those are a a couple that come to mind. There's a lot more of them, but those are a few of of, uh, ones that come to mind. What were some of yours that you you've thought of? Well, I'll tell you a story about the Len Bias uh, uh, situation. So, I was in Alabama, and I was uh, I went down there to play golf with uh, with my aunt who lived in Tuscaloosa, and I'm out on the golf course uh, to play with her. I don't remember the name of the course, and a guy walked by by the name of Wimp Sanderson, mm. and the night before Lynn Bias died, and I remember talking to Wimp Sanderson out on the golf course about that. It was just uh, just a, a, a tough situation. Uh, i tell you one that I also remember was uh, Thurman Munson. Uh, he had been the MVP three years before. He was 32 years old uh, when he was killed in that uh, plane crash. Uh, I remember a golfer who he was 42, but he still was capable of winning at a high level, Payne Stewart. Uh, he had won the 1991 U.S. Open, and uh, he also was in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. And then Alan Kowicki, and he was a NASCAR. He uh, wasn't the, the, the star that Dale Sr. was, but that happened in East Tennessee, and I remember that being such big news at that particular time. Uh, but um, I, I guess of those, and I'm sorry, it broke up. Did you mention Joe Delaney? I did not, no. Okay. Joe Delaney was one that hit me also because uh, he grew up 70 miles from my hometown. He went to my school at Northwestern State, and he was the uh, – uh, NFL or AFC, whatever, uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was he only played a couple of years there. And he tried to save some – he couldn't swim. But he saw three kids that were drowning in Monroe, Louisiana, in, in, a, in a pond or a lake. And he went in there to try to save them, knowing he couldn't swim, and he drowned. And I just thought, what an incredibly selfish act on Joe Delaney's mm-hmm. part. But that, that one hit me pretty hard. Uh, given where he was from and, and the, the act uh, that he was trying to save some people knowing that he couldn't swim. I thought that was, that was pretty special. Um, I tell you what, let's go, to, let's go to Toby. I think Toby's got a comment on this. Toby, you're on Sports Talk. Hey, gentlemen. How are you today? Fine. You, uh, you, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and a huge Indians fan. And if you're born there, you pretty much are born to despise the Yankees. Um. So we had really good seats at a game, and we were sitting on the third base line, and we were razzing. I mean, I couldn't have been seven or eight years old, giving uh, Thurman Munson a really hard time. And uh, he grabbed me out of the stands, took me down in between innings, introduced me to a bunch of players, took me down to the dugout. I mean, talk about a fan for life. And then just a few years later, he died in that in the plane crash. So that was the name I was going to use. I know you just mentioned him, but... I thought I'd share that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's tough when you when you see uh, performers, when you see athletes or, or entertainers, or whatever. But in particular, we're talking athletes uh, that uh, that leave us way too soon, uh, and the impact that that has. And and in many cases, as Vince touched on, you remember where you were when you heard the news. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you guys have a great day. Okay, thanks, Toby. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And when we come back, we will have more. Uh, Vince Farrar's Hour here brought to you by Waters Equipment that is in Maryville. I'm Jimmy Himes. This is Sports Talk 99.1, the sports animal. Now back to more of the most trusted sports information on the air. Sports Talk with John Wilkerson and Jimmy Himes on 99.1, the sports animal. Welcome back to Sports Talk. I'm Jimmy Himes uh, with Vince Farrar. Vince's Hour brought to you by Waters Equipment, which is in Maryville. Um, let's go uh, back to the phones where Steve is our next caller. Hello, Steve. Hey, guys. Always love your show. I just wanted to chime in a couple names there. Uh, one of my favorites, I was probably 12 years old, was Roberto Clemente, uh, who died in the plane crash during the offseason, I think, uh, there, and uh, Brian Piccolo. So I love your show. I just wanted to get those two names out there. Have a good yeah, day, guys. I had not thought about Brian Piccolo. Um, Brian Song, the Gale Sayers uh, movie. Yeah. Well, that was a tearjerker. But uh, Brian Piccolo went to Wake Forest, if I recall, uh, and played with Gale Sayers with the Chicago Bears. Uh, passed away with cancer. Uh, let's go to Dan. Dan, you're on Sports Talk. Hey, guys. How y'all doing today? Fine, Dan. Hey, I just got to, uh, my Jeep on the way home. I heard y'all mention Alan Kowicki and also – Davey, uh, he was the defending champion when he passed, but also Davey Allison passed within a, had a helicopter crash like a month later. It was one month later. Wow. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like three at Talladega is like a within three to four weeks later. But another story I want to share is um, coming home on an airplane from uh, California. We went from L.A. to Atlanta and Atlanta back to Knoxville, and I'm reading Reggie White's book. And all of a sudden, this guy starts saying, hey, is that a good book? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, is he a pretty good guy? And I'm like, you know, I look up like, dude, have you been under a rock? And I look up, and it's Reggie White. <laughs> and and, uh, and he signed it. And we talked, we talked the rest of the trip, and he signed his book. And even uh, going through uh, uh, McGee Tyson, I mean, we walked. I mean, he talked with me all the way through the airport. I mean, super individual, super. So let me get this straight. You asked Reggie White if he was under a rock? <laughs> no, I was thinking. I was, oh, I was thinking. Okay. Book, you okay. Because you might have been under one said, if you'd said that to him. <laughs> no, no. I, I was reading this book because is he a pretty good guy? And I'm thinking, dude, have you been left under a rock? And I yeah. look up and there's, there's Reggie White. And, I'm, like, and I'm, I'm sure my eyes and mouth was wide open. He just started dying laughing. And then, uh, you know, we got talking and he signed my book. Just a super individual. Minister of Defense. I had a an opportunity to interview him. Uh, years ago when he was living in Maryville, and I went out to his uh, his home, which was huge. He actually had a basketball gym there and uh, and visited with him. It's the first time I'd ever met him. Uh, very gracious, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, well uh, he, they was on their way back from Atlanta. His wife had uh, spoken to a women's group at a church in Atlanta. That's what they was flying back from Atlanta from. So. 
Well, there was a defensive lineman that played with him that left us too soon named Jerome Brown. And, oh, yeah, uh, I've, I've seen that story on, uh, I think, 30-30 or 60 or whatever it is yeah. on ESPN. He was like 27 years old. Yeah, he was oh, a great yeah. player too. Yeah. Well, love your show, guys. Okay. I'll get off here and let you all finish talking. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Cooper. Cooper, you're on Sports Talk. Hey, uh, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Really appreciate your show. Um, the uh, I was just thinking, listening to that gentleman talking about Reggie White. I'm not sure how Reggie White could get on an airplane and nobody notice, but uh, but uh, <laughs> Maybe got on first. seeing him come down the aisle. Yeah, yeah, he must <laughs> yeah. have. Hey, um, the conversation you were having about athletes and uh, passing away. Do you guys remember a, a young uh, college basketball player named Hank Gathers? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the the exact specifics about that story, but I, I do remember. I think he played with Bo Kimball. Yes. And I think Bo Kimball, I may be, I may totally be wrong on this, but I was thinking Bo Kimball shot his free throws left-handed in honor of Hank Gathers yes. uh, after he passed away. I just, I was a big fan back then and just thought that was a really uh, compelling story about those guys and their friendship. But You're right. <clears throat> yeah. And Hank Gathers passed um, away in 1990, played at Loyola Marymount. Yeah. Yep, Loyola Marymount. Anyway, that, that wasn't the reason I called. A little earlier, you guys were talking about Heupel and the offense that he brings into the SEC. And uh, I listen to the show as often as I can, but sometimes I obviously miss out on some of the calls. What what are some, uh, specifically, what are some of the critiques of, that people have concerning the type of offense that he's bringing and why they think that it would not uh, necessarily fly in the SEC? And I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Okay, thanks, Cooper. Vince? Well, I think the biggest thing that we have talked about or we've heard people mention is the strain it puts on your defense. And so is that can you sustain that in the SEC? Now, Ole Miss had a good first year with Lane Kiffin. Obviously, Alabama has had incredible success, but they're kind of a different a, a, a different dynamic completely because of what they've already established. They can they can overcome a few a couple two three more things at Alabama that every than everybody else can. So that that's it. That's one thing. Can you fix that defense long term? Lane Kiffin isn't going to win at Ole Miss just having high powered offense and no defense. So they're going to have to fix that eventually. Um, and, and then the, the the other thing that I I wonder about is is just does he have the personnel to be able to do that, to be able to run that kind of offense here at Tennessee? Now, uh, we talked to Tom Luganbill on the show last week from ESPN, who knows recruiting, knows is a college football analyst, and he loves the fit of Caden Salter, the true freshman from from incoming freshman from Texas, in Josh Heupel's offense. So you you got you need to have a quarterback that will be able to do some of the run pass option that Heupel will in his offense. That's part of today's game anyway. So that's a positive. Another thing about Heupel's offense that he'll typically do is have big receivers that can go up and, and get the ball. And Tennessee does have some of those bigger receivers from which guys that will be in their second year in the program from that big class last year, especially. So so those are some positives. But I guess it's just the whether you have the personnel to do it initially and then then just the general, Jimmy, the jump from the group of five to the power five. Is that – did he scheme with, with – 
uh, on maybe guys that, that weren't on the highest level that there wasn't the gap with opponents so he could out-scheme them. And maybe in the SEC or in the Power 5 level, you need more of the dudes in addition to the scheme. And can he make that adjustment? I mean, there's some of those questions. But, uh, Jimmy, I haven't heard beyond those things a ton of other maybe criticisms or questions about Heupel's offense. Have you? No, uh, I haven't. And, and it's more along the lines of what you said, the strain it puts on your defense. But if you look at Central Florida, uh, and I'm not going to say it was perfect, but they I know they lost to LSU in a bowl game, but they scored a ton of points. Uh, they scored points against uh, Auburn. They beat Auburn in a bowl game. So they had moments where they were pretty good against the upper echelon competition. Uh, and I do think his offense and the fast pace that he runs, I think, that, uh, I think they can score in the SEC. Um, I'm a little more concerned with what Mike Leach does at, at uh, Mississippi State as far as that working. Now, you could you look at the LSU game, and LSU was uh, was crazy enough to just play a man-to-man all over the place, and they got torched. A lot of people went to a three-man rush, played eight zone, and Mississippi State struggled against most every team it played thereafter. So mm-hmm. I think there's a better way to defense that. I think when you run that hurry-up uh, that uh, Central Florida and what uh, Hypo likes to do, and then what he did at Missouri, I think it proved at Missouri that you can score points in the league uh, with uh, and the, and I know you say, well, he had Drew Locke. That's true, but the yeah. year before with Drew Locke and Locke was a year younger. I get that. But Missouri's offense was terrible, and then Heupel took it and he took it to a huge level, another level, and so even based on that, and he did it two years in a row. My goodness, he scored fifty points on Tennessee one year. Yeah. So I I do think it'll work in this league. Here's here's the difference in why I think Heupel's offense should have a little bit more legitimacy in in the minds of many to work in the SEC is because unlike the Leach offense, he's committed to still run the football and yeah. the line of scrimmage. Whereas Leach, it, it they don't even they don't even bother so so often. What they throw the ball seventy sometimes, uh, numerous times this year, including that LSU game. So I think that's the difference. I don't think you can get away with being one dimensional and fast pace and the the you know the run and shoot type. You have to still be able to play power football at the line of scrimmage and be committed to run the ball. And they did at UCF. So I think that would be a positive towards that transition at UT. Let's go to Mike. Mike, you're on Sports Talk. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Doing well. Uh, talking about those that were taken too early, and, and then I'd like to add a <clears throat> quick personal story, is uh, Davey Allison uh, died in the helicopter crash down at Talladega, I believe it was. And uh, personally, I, and taking nothing from Earnhardt, Earnhardt, is going to go down as the greatest NASCAR driver in history. But uh, if if Davey doesn't die in that helicopter crash, I'm not, I'm not certain that Earnhardt ends up with seven championships. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Davey was 32 years old when he, uh, when he passed away. Yeah. And then uh, on a personal note, just I was uh, – I had an older brother that we had grew up in a, as an athletic family. Had an older brother my freshman year of high school after I had just made the uh, high school varsity team and was actually going to be a starter that had 
died in a uh, car crash four days before our first game. And just uh, the only reason I bring this up is a lot of people don't understand the mindset, even at, at that young age for me, of an athlete that, that suffers a loss and still goes out and, and can play the next day or a few days later, whatever it may be, like with uh, Brett Favre when his dad passed away. It's, it's The mindset is I've, you've got to get back to some normalcy. It, it's, you don't want to dwell on something that has affected your life in such a negative way, and, and you just you, you want to get back to be with your baseball family, in my case, uh, and you just want to return to some normalcy. Yeah. And and as you know, and I'm sure a lot of people know, everybody grieves differently. They handle things differently. Some people could not have played like Brett Favre played after the death of his father. Um, and others, and then Favre went out and had a great game. It's almost like they dedicated yeah. the game to the person that passed away that was close mm-hmm. to them. So Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate the show. Thanks for taking the call. Okay, Mike, appreciate you. Thanks for the call. When we come back, we'll have more. This hour with Vince Ford brought to you by Waters Equipment. Uh, Vince, I know this is a company that's uh, very dear to your heart. Yeah, absolutely. They do great work. So I want to make sure that we let as many people know as possible about this great company that can help you with either your personal or company's projects, Waters Equipment Company. When we come back, we'll have more Sports Talk 99.1, the sports animal. This is the home of accurate, factual sports information. Sports Talk with John Wilkerson and Jimmy Himes on 99.1, the sports animal. Welcome back to Sports Talk. I'm Jimmy Hines with Vince Ferraro. We've got a bank of calls. Let's go to Phil. Phil, you're on Sports Talk. Hey, Jimmy and Vince. How are y'all? Hey, fine, Phil. Hey, Phil. It's it's Bill with a B. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. I called yesterday. Oh, okay. That's okay. I, was, I made the Kevin Steele call yesterday, and then uh, I think uh, Mr. Adams wrote an article about it last night. I've got one kind of exciting but sad story. Um about Vince Lombardi, and the other one is a funny story about John Stallworth. Um, the Vince Lombardi story, I had gotten a haircut earlier in the week. I was maybe 9, 10, 11 years old. I was wearing the school T-shirt, going to St. Stephen's School in Northern Virginia. Vince Lombardi had passed away, and they made a, a picture autobiography book of him. And Sonny Jurgensen, Brig Owens, Walter Rock, and Mrs. Vince Lombardi were there, and they pulled me out of the line. And I got my picture taken with them signing that book. And uh, it's somewhere in storage right now. But I, I didn't catch the original theme. I thought we were talking about athletes or sports figures who had passed away. And that was my only brush with one who has passed away. But uh, that was an exhilarating time for a young grade schooler. Um, okay, the funny John Stallworth story. I was uh, making minimum wage in the early 80s. I was going to school at Auburn. And I was back in Huntsville, Alabama, and making minimum wage as a lifeguard for uh, Alabama A&M summer camp for underprivileged kids. It was my second day on the job, and in between shifts, when one batch of kids left the pool and another batch of kids were coming, I went into the restroom, and as I walked around the corridor of the restroom, it was a big community bathroom, shower room, 
I was like, man, what is that smell? And as I turned the corner, there's this big athletic man standing there with nothing but a towel around his waist. He goes, oh, sorry, man, that's my magic shave. Hi, I'm John. <laughs> and, and that's all I knew. That's how I met John Stowers. So he made a point of three or four times that summer sitting down at the lunch table with me and making me feel welcome. I was the only white guy there working, either paid or volunteer. He was one of the nicest pro athletes I had ever met. He was doing it all volunteer. Apparently he came back every summer to help those underprivileged kids there at Alabama A&M. I thought I'd share a little positive story there. So did you buy some of his cologne? Uh, no, it was, it was magic shave. It was shaving cream for people okay. who had bumps on their face. <laughs> But uh, I got a couple more funny stories about Len Dawson and uh, Joe Montana, but maybe one day when you're at one of these off-sites and it includes barbecue, I'll show up and buy you lunch and tell you a couple more funny stories. Sounds good. <laughs> hey, Ben, we appreciate don't, it. It'll take too long to put on the radio. All right. Thanks. Thanks got- for the call. Uh, when we come back, we'll be joined by former – uh, Division One basketball player, former Stafford, Tennessee, Mark Pankratz, and his appearance brought to you by Gambuza's Barbershop. With Vince Ferrar, I'm Jimmy Hound, Sports Talk 99.1, the sports animal.